ora and welcome to Balance X Future Farming, where we chat with experts about some of the big issues impacting farmers and growers in Aotearoa and break down the science behind it to figure out practical solutions. I'm your host, Tangaroa Walker, a typical Kiwi farmer based down here in Miruhiku, Southland, and I'm looking forward to learn too. In this episode, we're talking about something that I'm very passionate about, and that's animal welfare. It's something that matters a whole lot to me, and it's always an area of concern among mates of mine in the industry. And it matters so much to our end consumer now more than ever before. We're talking about how to manage animal well-being, not just for now, but also into the future, as our world keeps changing. Stockmanship is a very rare skill where you can't read it, you can't watch it, it's something that you have to feel, you have to have a real good connection with the animals, and that takes patience, time, and hours of observation. On today's podcast, we catch up with two experts, Paul Sharp and Dr. Cyril O'Connor. Starting from a dairy farming background in the Central Plateau, Paul founded Nutrition Services Limited, a ruminant nutrition consultancy business. Paul later joined Ag Research in 2001 and is now a consultant nutritionist for Seals Winslow. He develops industry expertise in ruminant pastoral farming while running his own dairy farm in the far north. And we also have Dr. Cheryl O'Connor, who is an animal behaviour and welfare science team leader at Ag Research Ruakura. She has been an animal behaviour scientist for 30 years, well, just about my whole life, and previously assisted and advised the National Animal Welfare Advisory Committee in the development of animal welfare standards. Well, Paul and Cheryl, I'm really excited to have you guys here. Can't wait to pick your guys' brains. And hopefully we can take our listeners on a bit of a journey and see what it's like through the lens of an animal. Let's crack into it. Well, kia ora, Cheryl and Paul. Um, welcome to the podcast. Um, really excited to have a bit of a cordial with you guys about animal well-being. Cheryl, do you want to hit us with a few of few of the key areas you think you know us farmers should know about? Thanks for that. I guess when we say animal welfare, it's both positive and negative. It is also the animal well-being. And the one thing that we're really moving into and trying to emphasise is that it's actually the physical and the mental state of the animal in the face of where it lives and how we look after them. It's not just about not doing negatives. The classic things of causing pain and injury the things that now are regulated, you know, don't break tails, don't starve animals, don't, you know, deliberately hurt animals. But I guess, yeah, more than that, it's, it's kind of thinking and just not doing bad things, just living is only kind of a neutral state for an animal that doesn't give them a good life. They need some rewarding and some ability for choice and control in their lives to have a good life which I know, I mean, you said, you know, yourself, you know, that's why I believe that's why most people who are farming, particularly livestock farmers, is because actually they like animals and they want to do right by them. That's that's why they're farming with animals, not cropping, you know. Absolutely. And Paul, you, you know, with, with the current situation on farms is a little bit time poor. Do you think that understanding the welfare, animal welfare, and what's going on with cows um, is important? Oh, absolutely. Just from a practical point of view, there's a hard way of doing things and, and an easy way of doing things. And, and on farm, if, if you encourage an animal to do something at once, it, it does it well. 
Um, Absolutely. If you're constantly fighting and chasing and, and trying to force it to do something that it's uncomfortable to do, scared to do, or, or doesn't want to do, everything gets hard and noisy and takes a lot longer and causes a lot more angst. Even at a real basic level, you know, looking out for the animal and trying to work with it, provide an environment and enjoys and encourage it to do things it wants to do, you know, makes life easy for everybody. I think that's a good point. It causes angst for the people and the animals. It's as simple as that. And why do you think this is important? Because with animals and animal welfare, one thing always leads into another. I.e. if you if you're getting frustrated and you start running your stock, they'll get lame feet and then the lameness moves into mating issues and the mating issues lead into a cull cow and you know and, and so on. What are your thoughts on that, Paul? You're dead right. It becomes a negative spiral. If you set the farm up wrong or, or it's not animal friendly and then you try and force this round peg through a square hole, things don't work. Um, that cause problems for the animal, for the person that's managing it, often ends up with a lot more expense or, or animal loss. Where with a little bit more forethought, a bit more planning, um, and certainly a lot more, I guess, stockmanship is the word, an understanding of what the animal is feeling, you can avoid all of those costs and, and you need a lot less people to get the same amount of work done on a farm. Yep, absolutely. And that's why, you know, dogs and whatnot can be seen as a negative uh, approach to moving stock, but they are a lot calmer and they do understand the animal just by looking, right? Whereas uh, a lot of people these days in our industry, we don't have that time to sit there and, and check an animal out. Now it's sort of you're on a on a vehicle that can go 100 kilometres an hour, and um, some people would like to use that. I think you you said something a bit of dropped a bit of gold there. You know we're dealing with animals that are sometimes five to ten times bigger than us. Uh, we can't force them to do what we need them to do. We have to try and make them want to do what we need them to do. So if they're wanting to do it i.e. using tools like feeding or in-shed feeding or, you know, paddock breaks, then, you know, it's all going to work in our favour. Correct. And, and it's even broader than that. It's, you know, the design of the farm. It's, you know, working with the landscape so it, it suits the animals to move in the way you want them to move, providing the shelter and shade and protection from the elements so that they don't, they're not being chased around with the weather or, or damaged by the extremes. Yep, absolutely. So Cheryl, I just wanted to pick your brains around, you know, um, the average Kiwi farm, or there's no Kiwi farmers that average, let's be honest. We're superhumans as farmers in, in New Zealand. How good are we at ensuring our animal welfare? I think the majority of farmers aren't good. That's the conversation we've just been having. It's, it's that understanding, it's basic stockmanship. The core of good animal welfare is knowing your animals, knowing normal so then that you know when something is different and abnormal. Farmers, they may not put the technical terms that I might use on it, but they they know, they understand, they pick up. They're like, oh, she's not usually last. What's going on there? That's a bit odd. Oh, they shouldn't, they wouldn't normally be mooing right now. Better go and check what's going on. Is something run through? Is the trough not working? You know, that kind of basic understanding is that is just that response, is the, you know, understanding of what farmers do. And I think that's something we really, it's kind of about with our pasture-based systems is different to so many other places in the world. So we need to be looking at and thinking about how can we convey the positives of what's happening, of what we're doing. How do we actually give that evidence, give that assurance that this is, you know, animals are being well looked after and this is why? 
Oh, look, I agree. I mean, there's there's practices now that are, that are obsolete and gone and, and in the dustbin of history, you know, docking tails and boarding the cows to get them in, in milk early in lactation and things like that, which are, you know, they're not even part of our discussions about looking after animals now because we discovered the damage and the problems they were causing and, and the animal welfare issues. So, you know, rightfully they were they were stopped and are no longer done. And But it is a continuum. I mean, you know, there's new technologies coming through all the time. There's new um, understandings of how animals react or respond to situations and, and looking at management and treatment of things to try and avoid things that we're yeah. only becoming aware of. And, I, you know, Cheryl will know those sort of better than I. But, you know, for instance, you know, debutting back in the dim, dark days, I remember our R2 heifers coming home from grazing on the 1st of May. And these are big six, eight weeks off calving. And we were, we were using these giant loppers to top the horns off. This day and age, my farmers now are, are anaesthetising their calves at 24 hours, 48 hours to take off any horns if they have them. Um, better still, they're breeding them to be polled so they don't have to do anything. So the technologies are moving and our expectations are moving with it. I support that and I guess just to throw a little bit in there, technology is good and there's lots of things that are coming through and there's a suite of uh, new devices and recordings, but it's just important that they are used as tools, as more of the tools within the toolbox. My big thing, again, as we talked about with stockmanship, it's still about actually utilising that so you can collect data that you wouldn't actually see or understand or be able to do, and you can use that, but you still use that by actually looking at your animals and checking with the animals. And if these devices, of these mechanisms of you know digital age can give more time back so that you're doing that, then that's good. We just need to be that it's not actually you're managing animals from the computer. Yeah, yeah, I think that's really important. Eh? We're going to get more and more of our young people coming through who are very familiar with using devices and know how to be tech savvy, but that whole gut feeling and having that uh, that deep root of connection to the animals and and how they should be how they should be functioning in in the paddock you know, four hours after they've gone to, to graze a paddock. All of those things are very important. So hopefully we can try and get that across through this this corridor. So, you know, we, we think of ourselves as leaders in the world uh, with producing protein and fibre. Do you think that we compare ourselves well? Like, where do, where do we compare on the world stage? Oh, yes. I, I mean, I think so. I mean, we've always had the infrastructure to go back to, you know, legalese and, and regulations. And we have an Animal Welfare Act, but since 1999, our Animal Welfare Act has been a duty of care. So that's actually putting requirements on to look after the physical health and behavioural needs of our animals. And so we're right up there in leading. And what that means, and I mean, I know it's not just about regulations, but it's just the, I think it conveys the mentality of New Zealanders, you know, and of, of our farming system, that that we do recognise stockmanship and this duty of care for our animals. And what does that mean? What does that mean for how we can best do by them? Absolutely. And what are your thoughts, Paul? I mean, we want to make a... A happy milk, right? We don't want to make a sad or grumpy milk or or sad or grumpy wool. We want happy wool. And look, farmers are in the business of food production. How does cow's welfare and how happy a sheep is, a sheep are, sorry, how does that follow and lead into production? Well, the obvious ones are, you know, the, the animal that's got a sore foot doesn't tend to walk around a lot. 
so it doesn't tend to eat, doesn't tend to drink. An animal that's ill or is heavily parasite burdened, you know, can't grow because it, it can't process what it's eating very well. If there's not enough food offered, um, or if the environment is unpleasant enough that the animal's intimidated or scared, you know, all of those, you know, the first response largely is to go and hide or you know stop eating and and be somewhere where you can try and be safe. So all of yep. those absolutely directly impact on any productivity that you expect from the animal. To follow on from Paul, I agree. I mean, I guess some of the examples, it's not, for us, it's not just about production, but that is an element of it. We can't just say because an animal's producing, it's doing well. You know, good animal welfare, a good life is more than that. Poor animal welfare will definitely have an impact. And we know that if an animal's stressed, you get poorer meat quality. It's, you know, long, well-recognised, and so whatever those stresses might be. And I guess there's some stuff as well, you know, changing farm practices, you know, thinking about what they're doing and how they might improve. You get better body condition, and you get better body condition and the animals are healthier and in better body condition, then actually you also get better in-calf rates in the time, and all of those flow-on effects. So it's about being part of the whole farm system and how it interrelates and what you change in your management and your whole farm system that has, you know, sometimes it's not as direct as you stress an animal, you don't have, you have poor meat quality. Sometimes it's not so obvious that you can see the percentage increase or decrease in production, but it will be there and over the long run and within the whole farm system, you will see all of those broader benefits, including better well-being for the animals. It's 100% beneficial for the farmer to pay a lot of time and attention to animal welfare and managing their stock. I, uh, me, for example, I, always, I was always told when I lock my, my herd away or go down and, and check the mob down the back to sit there and wait for two minutes with the bike off and just sit and think about nothing. Listen to the bees, try and find a worm in the, in the ground without getting off your, your motorbike. You know, and just listen and you'll see things that uh, that you wouldn't normally see if you were just going down to shut the gate. Yeah, exactly. And it is that, I mean, as we said before, that's that. Oh, it's the same same as race and shut the gate or same as if you're looking at them on your computer screen or looking at the numbers on your computer screen. You can't beat just actually a little bit of quiet time, you know, there and seeing what they do. Are they are they suddenly racing to the trough? Oops, that must mean there was something problem elsewhere. But they just kind of have a wee, they're nice and quiet and spread out and start grazing. Great. Because it's not something that you see straight away, eh? No, that stockmanship is not easy to learn. There's some good reading out there about animal behaviour, which will give some basics around what an animal looks like when it's concerned and what it looks like when it's relaxed. Certainly spending time in the paddock is about the best way possible to sort of learn more about animal behaviour and, and when they're happy and not. That's an experience thing. And I certainly encourage my farmers, and certainly when I'm on farm, I try and spend as much time in the paddock with the animals as possible because what they tell you is everything. Yeah, absolutely. I guess it's the current farmers teaching the new, the new guys and girls what they need to be looking for. So it is probably standing in the paddock with the new recruits and actually yep. pointing out, you know, and a cow ruminating, um, you know, cows when they get heat stress or even forbid crawling into a drain for water because the, the water supply is not good enough, you know, just yep. taking the time to actually pass on some of that experience. 
my bit of gold is ultimately the animals pay the bills. Yes. So they're the boss. Yeah. Happy cows, happy life. If you look after them, they'll look after you. Yes. For all of us listeners out there that are new to farming, take the time, guys. Take the efforts. The more time and attention we pay to animals when they're standing stationary out in the paddock, the more love and care we can give them when, when we start getting them in these confined spaces because it all transfers. So let's chat about the, the global regulatory environment. Well, how, do you, how do you guys see public perception and driving regulations? Ultimately, if our consumers, you know, of primary industry consumers, don't like what they think they see or what they perceive they're seeing, we will be shut down. So we have to, as an industry and or as animal agriculture, have to demonstrate that animal welfare and the well-being of our animals is at our forefront. And if there are procedures that our consumers are concerned about, we either need to be able to demonstrate why they are not a concern or find a way of changing. I don't think public perception is driving regulations. But I think we need to be aware that the public and the international consumers are the consumers of our products. So there's some room in there. It's not just about perception, but it's also about we need to be better at actually telling our story. And I think particularly internationally, but growing amount of, you know, the provenance of New Zealand and pastoral farming is critical, but we need to actually be telling that story and more and more having the evidence to show why actually being out and grazing is is important and cows do like it. And we're already doing that. So how do we better sell all of these things that we're already doing along with how we can then promote what the animals or the cows would want even more. So there's there's a room there in telling the story better, I think. Yeah, good point, Cheryl. Um, I, I was just thinking, you know, farmers make up a whole lot of small business in, in Aotearoa, yet we all get paid pretty evenly for our products. Therefore, the secrets to produce that product, there aren't none. Because whether I know what John knows down the road, we're all getting paid the same. But nobody's really telling their story. I think I would have been I would have been the first farmer um, in Aotearoa to, to use social media to the scale that I've used it to. The thing is, is that it's costed me $70 a month to do the marketing for that. And I'm pretty sure every farmer has a spare five milk solids to pay on a phone bill <laughs> to, to market their product. And, um, you know, we, we've never been in the, the business of marketing farmers because the tanker drives up our driveway and um, we get paid every month. What are the opportunities um, you can see? The collective approach of New Zealand is some advantage too, I would suggest, having worked overseas a fair bit, in that because everybody does largely work together and does share information, we also can share some expectation. So the bottom end of, of our industry are, are in the spotlight, as it were, and regulations and local farmers and national farmers are, you know, making it more difficult for those people to continue to do the things that we disapprove of. That collective approach within New Zealand is also, I think, an advantage or has the potential to be an advantage for us overseas as well. And it helps keep the general view of New Zealand, I think, in a, in a positive light. 
That's right. And it's a little bit, as you've said, that you're going tangaroa is like everybody's basically farming the same. So why aren't we New Zealand Inc. or whatever terminology you want to use? There's a real opportunity if we actually do promote our pastoral farming and the provenance and what that means, then there is very wide benefits for all of all of those people that are not spending their money to go on social media like you are, Tangaroa, they should thank you. But, you know, it's it does. That collective means that if you're telling a good story, this is what farming in New Zealand means, then it has very broad audience. You know, there is definitely a growing focus on animal welfare, and we can look at that as opportunity or challenge. How I see it is it's an untold story that has been perceived the wrong way. So our consumers currently see the money and they see the farmer with the ute and the flash uh, holding V8 and and uh, and they see them on holiday at their batch every now and then. But the reason is, is because we don't show what we do to get there. There's a whole lot of opportunity around animal welfare because it's it's really hard to see somebody's hut. It's really, you can't show someone's heart unless you're, you're, you're a part of that heart, right? With farmers, we have got the biggest hearts. We're one of the most trusted businessmen because we, we use that heart with every decision we make. And I think there is so much opportunity for us here as farmers in Aotearoa to show, you know, what level of animal welfare um, there is on farm and, and nothing's changing there because it's, it's always been there. It's just that nobody knows. Uh, what are your thoughts on that, Paul? <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. Some of the excitement going forward is technology that, that's going increasingly becoming common on farm that connecting this back out into the globe. You know, the ability to get on the internet and, and almost see the cow um, yep. getting to the cow shed. So we can demonstrate in quite a visual way a lot of the practices that are happening on farm is, is potentially able to be out there a lot more because of that technology and to help you know, demonstrate what, what we actually do do. So yeah, I see some of those technologies coming through that are increasingly you know, wearable technologies and stuff on farm that, that help identify information that, for management, but they also help demonstrate some of the things that are happening on the farm that are good. Some of the tracking of, of you know, export meat, for instance, where some of these guys now can button it right back to the farm it came from and the animal yep. it came from and, and what that animal's history was. That's quite exciting. Our consumers can get quite involved in how our farms work if we adapt to that sort of technology being involved in our farm systems. And I think there's a real opportunity there because for a lot of our consumers, you know, the fact that we are pastoral farming and the cows are outside and natural and grazing on the grass is three quarters of the step. Now, I don't know. I mean, New Zealanders always get worried. We don't want to show them, you know, in mud. I think they have the image of dairy cows when we have international people that the cows are like our um, beef and, you know, roaming in wide open spaces and that's the that's the stocking density, not break fed with 400 animals, you know, in that block. But even so, I don't think we should be shying away from that. New Zealanders, we kind of hide away and there's uh, kind of the if button maybe. Three quarters of the battle is the fact of our pastoral farming. We're already pastoral farming, and it's different. It's different. The needs and the requirements and the issues, and we're already, the opportunities are there because we're so far there, but the the issues are different to all of that international pressure on intensive farming. 
So we know shade and shelter is important. We know about the speed that they walk to the race as you started with. You know, we know these things that are important. Now, a lot of those things are positives in themselves, and then we know what we need to do to be making sure that the animal's having a good life within that. So it's about actually the opportunity to sell that story, show what we're already doing. We're constantly looking to improve and be even better. I don't think we should be afraid of selling what we're doing now, telling that story, and we haven't been very good at that. It's one thing to look into a farm. You can see physically that these animals are are happy and, and or, or sad or grumpy. But with commercial benefits being available now for farmers that are, are responsible and are, and are taking all of these into practice and it's showing on the docket or the amount of all that's leaving the farm and, and the quality of meat, how are these going to be measured in terms of animal welfare? Like how do we measure animal welfare? It's one thing to feel it and see it, but how do you tell someone about it? Uh, yes. I mean, the, the rudimentary levels are the, the things that, that are are wrong with animals. So measuring condition score, measuring tail breakage or lameness or, or mastitis cases, that's the, the crude sort of bottom or the start, I suppose, to identify those that really need to be doing more. And I guess in the future, there's a lot more technology going to get involved. And I guess that's where the research is really coming because, you know, the cow's not going to actually put up a flag and say, yeah, I'm, I'm happy today. Or no, not so much today. Um, so we, we need some of those measures or ways of identifying the stuff that's that's not necessarily outwardly obvious. You know, a, a cow may well be looking happy in the shed, but she may have a an underlying health problem that we're not aware of, you know, an infection or something like that. So there's lots more to learn. That's where the researchers are, are absolutely critical for moving forward. It's a key area that we're working on currently, and I don't have a here's your, here's your one measure. In our terms, it's very much we think in the five domains model now, which is a new approach to that's thinking more about the positives because it's the basic principles within nutrition, environment, health and behaviour. And then the fifth domain is that mental state. What is actually the animal experiencing for itself? What does that mean? Now, it's really exciting and it's a fun area to be in, but it's a tricky science and we're just getting going on what does that mean? How do we measure that? How can we tell what the animal was actually experiencing? How can we give or at least get some idea about that? So, I mean, we've just been working through a current program and um, it's for dairy cows is the example, but then it's there's still, if you think of those four areas, there's still quite a suite of measures that we would put in. There's not just one in nutrition and one in behaviour, but we're trying to refine it down, thinking about what that might be, what some of those key metrics might be, and then there's the can we measure it? Do we have tools to measure it? Is there technology to measure it? That will all develop. Along with that, we've just been having that conversation as then there are some really exciting things but we just don't know yet what that actually means for the animal. We need to actually, we need that science to be able to say, you know, as part of that story that we've got this proof that it, that is valuable for the animal. They would choose that. They would find that rewarding. They would find that positive, you know. That is actually, yeah, part of the story. I find it really 
exciting, I guess, because we're talking about the positives and talking about the animal, you know, having spent this time in animal welfare, not just be trying to stop horrible things that none of us liked, you know, to be moving into this area. We're rapidly trying to catch up so that we can actually provide some really meaningful, some really verified metrics. So what is it key? What is key to measure so that we can tell that story with evidence? So like on a physical level for an animal, let's say we're talking about a heifer. She's just walked into the cow shed. She hasn't released her milk. We could give her a hormone that she would naturally produce herself being oxytocin and she will relax and release her milk. Does that mean that when cows are happy, is there something that we can physically measure to measure a happy cow? I'm going to jump in there because you've, you've already got it wrong. That heifer should already be very happy to be in the shed. You know, yeah, ideally, probably she's been through that shed half a dozen times as a dry cow with her cohort, and she's settled in with some mature cows that know the routine to follow through. You know, the first milking is actually just the first time that she's been there to have cups on. And in fact, it's not stressful at all because she understands what's going on and she understands where she's going. So she's not concerned. And if we can provide that environment and that sort of security, then it's far less likely that she's going to try and withhold the milk. Um, and then we don't have to resort to any uh, interventions to try and undo what perhaps we should have managed. Awesome to, to chat with you guys. Last question. What excites you uh, about the future of farming in New Zealand? And wh- what are we doing about it now? Is it, is it in your guys' scope? Uh, are you working on it currently? Um, you go first, Cheryl. What, what's exciting about uh, future the future of farming in Aotearoa? Oh, I think it's what we've ended up talking about. And um, for me, it's the science, but it's about providing that science so that our outdoor pastoral farming, we can provide that evidence to show that the needs and wants for the animals are there and that they're having a good life. We need to be able to provide that evidence and those assurances so that provenance of our wonderful pastoral farming, yeah, we've got a good story to tell and the opportunities are just, yeah, the, the desire and the want is there, so the time is now. I think that's quite exciting. And what about yourself, Paul? I'm a bit of a data geek. The new technologies coming through for the, for the industry, the, the wearable technologies, for me, are really, really exciting. I love that I can, I can go to some of my farms now and I can check on individual cows on you know, how, how their temperature is going, how their rumination rates are. My farmers can pull out an animal that is starting to feel poorly three or four days probably before even a really good stockmanship visual comes on stream, they can work with a particular animal in amongst a thousand animals because they've, they've got that, that data coming through. And I can be anywhere in the world and I can lock into that app when, and have a look at what's happening and, and have a really good handle on, on not what those animals are doing. And I, I think that's really exciting from my point of view. It's going to change a lot of how we manage our farms and our animals and how we design them, I think, even. Yeah. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to the sort of the next decade, you know, a lot more automation, um, a lot more of this technology and probably a lot less angst for the animals. Yeah, no, it's exciting. I just got off, of, off the phone to uh, one of my mates who's just currently installing new halters and um, oh, the tech that he's been slapping me with, I'm like, far out. And it doesn't even cost much, right? It's not even that, that expensive considering all of the data that can pop out the bottom. So awesome.
Well, team, this was an awesome interview, awesome corridor, a whole lot of take-homes for me. And this is why I love doing these shows. Animal welfare is such a key concern for farmers, but there's always something new to learn, always. My biggest take-home from today's podcast was realising how hard it is to explain to somebody about stockmanship. So from now on, I'm going to give a lot more time, I'm going to give a lot more patience to staff coming through so that they can get that deep connection that's required when it comes to trying to interact with animals and just observing the animal personalities. And looking into the future, one of the big take-homes was how important science and technology is in our farming systems and the big role that it's going to play in identifying animal health issues before they become issues and jumping on them early so that we can be more proactive opposed to being reactive. And this concludes our Animal Welfare Podcast for today. Thank you so much to our guests, Paul and Cheryl, and thank you guys so much for listening. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe and tell all your mates. Look forward to seeing you guys next time. Pai tora.